0: If it goes down, you can blame me. And that really, I mean, it sounds like such a stupid thing. And so whatever, but be at the startup with the investors, hey, if it goes down, if there's a problem, here's everything I have that I put available. When it's at the office, when something is uncomfortable, okay, if an executive gets unhappy, they can call me. As long as you've honestly done everything in your energy to protect the project to protect the the ethics and the values of what we stand for. You can blame me, but I will take the heat and that really gives people a lot of autonomy.
1: Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week. We've got a nice uh, show planned today. We've got a guest, Benji Kotzia, and she works for KPN. She's actually the chief strategy officer. And if you recall on an earlier podcast, we had Marie-José Vandenbaum and she was talking about open innovation. And she said, Paul, you got to talk to Benji. She's got some great experiences to share with our type of listeners. I said, great. So just to remind you, KPN is a is a really transformational Dutch communications company, gone through a lot of change in the past years and kind of reinvented itself. So when you get to talk to somebody who's a chief strategy officer at KPN, it's kind of fun. Benji, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you very much. Lovely to be here and to be with the listeners today. And hopefully I can live up to the expectations that Marie-José <laughs> shared and also the honor to still be here at KPN, as you mentioned, great <laughs> company.
2: And where are you joining us from, Benji?
0: So I'm currently dialing in from our Zutemir office in uh, uh, the Netherlands. Daily I go to a different office, so we have multiple offices, uh, which maybe not the most environmentally and sustainable orientated footprint. But that's quite interesting because you get to see different teams in different buildings because, of course, you have technical teams, commercial teams, et cetera. But I do live in Amsterdam, and I love Amsterdam. So, yeah, I try to be there as often as I can, but I have not had the privilege of a home office for many weeks, many months.
2: Yeah. So that seems yeah. a bit of the past, but it's okay. I think it's really interesting that you you, you go to the different offices, Uh how do you see that impacting the way you work, your knowledge of the company, the culture?
0: Oh, I think it's uh, there's a positive and a negative to both. So firstly, of course, every office, when you are going to different offices every single day, going to different offices can be unsettling because you don't have your your key office that you go to every day and your key spot that you sit at. But our office, we don't have any designated office areas, even for the executives. We of course have our favorite rooms that we sit in, right, of course. But so that can be unsettling. But at the same time, uh, it could also be a positive because you get to see different colleagues, different offices, you do have some differences in the regions of the Netherlands. So you also Mm. pick that up, which is also quite nice. But I think the nicest thing is that because you go to different offices, you can have meetings with different people. The only other downside I sometimes see is my team doesn't always know which office I'm in. So, because it changes so often depending on what the executives need or the meeting agenda, that I try and tell them where I'll be the week before. But that doesn't that does change. So that sometimes a little bit of sad thing and sometimes I come to the office and there's no one here. And I well, why did I come to the office? So there is a little bit of a dichotomy between going to different offices, being in the office every day or not. And but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I do miss my home office sometimes, because you can also be very productive at home. But it depends on your role, it depends on your energy. And I know, I, I believe and I think that the most influence and benefit I give to my team sometimes is presence and just listening in person. And I think it's very different from the, when you're in 2d so i do try to do that more i wish i could spend more time with everyone but it's just impossible and I also get a lot more energy from that but yeah it's 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 i don't think there's a recipe for it for anybody it really depends on your role depends on your company it depends on your team dynamic it uh, depends on whether you're more productive at home or not if i do have to do focus work or think work or Research. Of course, I want to be in my home office. I want to put my headphones on and I don't want anyone to interrupt me. I don't want calls. I don't want anything. I really need to do hyper focused work. But if I come to the office, I know I'm not going to be doing hyper focused work because my teams are doing hyper focused work. I'm prepared for conversations, for difficult conversations, for decision making, for motivation, for helping design something. So it's completely different.
2: And I think being there with the teams is so much more effective, more more interesting, more exciting than you could be with those teams virtually as, as many do, but being there, right?
0: Yeah, I've spoken about this a few times to my team and I said, you know what? When Corona first happened and we all had to go virtual, I honestly got such an insecurity that I had lost one of the most important leadership traits that I believe I have. Of course, you think you're a good leader in certain perspectives, <laughs> and the one skill set that I always thought that I had very well is my ability to influence by virtue of being there in person with your energy. Mm-hmm. So, the nodding of the head, the chemistry, the smile, the you know, the, the slight tilt when someone walks in, the, the gentle handshake, come sit down. Those all those little nuances, I always felt I could cue them well for the better of the person of the company of the process. So when we went into Corona, I really felt that I'd lost one of my, my skill sets, my ability to influence by virtue of my personality. And then I had to really learn, like we all had to, like what else can make you successful? Or what else makes a virtual meeting? And then I also started to realise that when we're now talking to each other, we're in 2D, you're seeing me in two dimensions. When we're together, yes we're in 3D, but the thing that really is the magic between you and someone else, you and another human being is that chemistry and that's the fourth dimension. And that is really difficult sometimes to get through in 2D and sometimes even in 3D. But when you're right next to someone and you can feel and and observe and adjust, that is 4D. That is the real feel, And that I think is why it's nice to be in person with the team and to be present. Because when I say we can be 3D, but I can't, I can mentally not be present, which means I'm still in 3D.
2: Yeah. But I'm
0: there with you it's i
2: love this this is fantastic it's a little bit like why i like to when i do a presentation so much more prefer to do it live in front of an audience because you can just feel the audience you know whether you're you need to change modify keep going speed up slow down whatever you just feel it and then you feed off the energy so i get it
0: i mean (laughs) so especially like for example you know right when you do a presentation and i like humor i like being nuanced I like using my hands and going up and like getting you engaged and when it's through a screen people are smiling but you're not hearing yes. them laugh you're not hearing you're not feeling it like fully like they they're fully there and that and that also gives me so much energy right it's like okay I hit a the nerve there I'm going to keep going on that one ooh I shouldn't have said that let me recover right right exactly. so it's the tango.
2: yeah yeah well, you've led a lot of digital transformation projects. And now I'm thinking about what you're saying and, and leading those projects. Digital transformation can be overwhelming. It can be scary. It can be uh, difficult. Change is required. And I was, I was going to ask you about, well, how do you approach it? And I think you started to give us some clues. Maybe there's more, but uh, tell us about your experiences.
0: So I mean, whether you call it a digital transformation or any kind of transformation or change programme, it, it it really starts with un- making people f- understand why a change is needed in the first place. Right? So what is the problem we're trying to solve? What is the job to be done? And what levers or enablers do we have to make it either go faster? Um, which is then digital, right? For me, digital is one of those enablers to make change happen faster. It's not the goal in itself, it's not the purpose in itself. It's the enabler to the change that we need. Costs are too high, we're too slow, we're too inefficient. We're not able to attract and retain the right talent because we're doing it in an old school way, we're losing customers. That's the problem to be solved. And then, okay, the means that we can get there, oh, we can do it more smartly with digital, with AI, blah, 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 and then you can be very creative. So I think for any transformation or change, it's always getting people aligned to the why. So just like Simon Sinek says, always yes. start with why. Yes. I am such a fan of his and it, that's with anything, any project, doesn't matter if it's change project, acquisition project, doesn't matter. So if you can get people to really believe in there's a need for change, there's a there's a real why. There's a real ambition state that's worthy of your time, of your energy, of your focus, because it might be easy, it might be hard, might be emotional, might be taxing. And I think that's, I think, been very important for me in any initiative, be it being an entrepreneur or doing a corporate transformation or restructuring. It's always, why do we need to do it? And do I believe it? And do I get others to believe it? And that's why your storytelling as a leader is also really important because you need to have those followers because you're also gonna start doubting sometimes when it gets difficult <laughs> and hard right. and not nice and you have people really upset. And of course, we're, we're humans, we have emotions and change is not always easy. We had process, platform, product, proposition, partnership, doesn't matter, change is never easy. So Jory starts with that why. And then the second is, okay, now that we all agree with the why, okay, what are the things that are going to make us keep believing in the why, how do we, how do we, how do we have those beacons of achievement that keeps us, keeps giving us momentum? So what is the beacons that are going to keep us moving forward and are they achievable? So it's very easy to set big ambitions and big goals, but then you fall short and you lose momentum because you, you, you do have fatigue. So it's not about not being ambitious. It's about having a scale of goals and a scale of what success looks like. And then I think the third most important thing is that you need to have that openness to the team and to yourself that there's no recipe. There is hypotheses of what success could look like. There are hypotheses, what we can do to get there. There are hypotheses of how long it's going to take. And then we have underestimated risks of the complexity, we have underestimated risks that we do have detractors that don't believe in the change that will slow it down, that will cause havoc. We have, we underestimate the influence of people's resistance. And we under and we overestimate our likability. And and naturally, that I think with those those combinations to say, okay, it's a hypothesis, we have an ambition, we do believe in the theory, but now we need to go test it. And some tests are going to be positive, and sometimes it's not going to be positive. But let's be transparent. And when things and I think is one of the most important things in terms of learning of any of the startups I've had, the companies i have built, companies i have sold, the, the companies i have worked for, It has always been, if it goes down, you can blame me. And that really, I mean, it sounds like such a stupid thing. And so whatever, but be at the startup with the investors, Hey, if it goes down, if there's a problem, here's everything I have that I put available. When it's at the office, when something is uncomfortable, okay. If an executive gets unhappy, they can call me. As long as you've honestly done everything in your energy to protect the project, to protect the the ethics and the values of what we stand for, you can blame me, but I will take the heat. And that really gives people a lot of
2: autonomy. Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off.
0: Yeah, I know, and I see that more and more, especially, of course, as you go through your career and people have more responsibilities, they have families, they have wives, they have children, they have stature, they have ego. They, they become a lot more risk averse, many, not all I'm stereotyping, but if you're able to give them that comfort to don't lose the creative spark you used to have, because I respect you also have things to protect at home, your livelihood, etc. So I'm not saying that everyone can have that approach. I'm very fortunate that I can have that approach that I actually can get fired and I'll be okay. Right? I'll manage.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah.
0: And not everyone can get that. But I hope by doing so, more people are like, well, if we do those kind of things together and we have each other's backs, it's probably unlikely that it's going to happen. Right. So, touch Buddha, I haven't been fired yet <laughs> in my career. <laughs> right. Yes. Very close, many times. I think it's not because of failure, but because of just, it's just being non traditional. But, and I think that's, that's a, it's probably one of our biggest leadership learned lessons is how do you make people really feel safe? And it's not that I'm not difficult to work with. It's not that I don't expect high quality, and it's not that I don't expect hard work. And it's not that sometimes, yeah, I'm so human, and I can get, lose my temper and be like, this is ridiculous, guys, come on, right? But that's a different feeling of whoo, versus feeling unsafe that if we fail, oh, she's not gonna back me. She's right. gonna blame me. And that will never happen. I'd rather say, okay, what went wrong? How do we fix it now? And you're going to stay up with me until 2 a.m. to fix it
2: with me, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That's a different approach.
2: It's a great leadership model. You take the the risk out of it for people. They're, they're not so focused on the risk. You can keep focused on the why. And I really like when you said your, your second one, begin with why. I'm all for that. Simon Sinek, yeah, nailed it, right? But But I think how do you stay focused on the why, right? And you covered that as well. I think that's really important. Stay focused, don't don't just discuss the why and then for six months, a year, never come back to it.
0: The one thing that I've also observed in my career and every company falls prey to this and every executive is we come with a business case, we come with a plan, we come with assumptions and then we go into execution and then sometimes the people have changed that we working on the project initially and there's no real, review whether what we're doing is actually against what we expected. Mm-hmm. So are we being successful based on our original assumptions? Or are we successful because we've recalibrated based on the new norm? And sometimes you need to ask the why again? Why are we still doing this? Is this still relevant? And that can really also change the way. It, and it's also okay to sometimes abandon a project. Say, so, hey, it's no longer relevant. That why doesn't apply anymore. Right? So just because it's still moving or feel successful doesn't mean it's still needed right
2: very nice And it
0: also takes courage to say hey let's let's this
2: cause it does think, oh, it does
0: and it doesn't feel good either but okay
2: yeah yeah well if we're kind of talking about different challenges leaders face and i'm I'm curious if you have a an example of a big challenge that you you faced and how you overcame it
0: oh uh, in terms of
2: leadership, Anything, really. people
0: management projects. Yeah. I've had it all. I've been so blessed yeah. and fortunate to have, to have challenges, if you can say that. And that's still a constant struggle, I would say. It is. I am a very young, ambitious person, and I have a lot of energy and a lot of curiosity. So I'm a polymath. I like to read a lot about everything. But I don't like to be a know-it-all. That's never my case. I always know there's people much smarter, better and faster than me. However, I think one of the personal struggles that I constantly try to get over is how to manage people's emotions that might feel threatened by my presence. So that could be because of status, could be because of tenure. It could be, of course, I'm in a very fortunate position that I'm quite um, successful in a corporate. And that means that I do have had many people in my career that are older than me, more senior than me, but reporting to me. And some take that very well, because I'm an interesting person to work with. And uh, hopefully I'm fun most of the time. And I'm a hard worker myself. But sometimes it is also conflict between how do you give people the comfort or some persons the comfort that you're not a threat to their career. But they also need to adjust to work with you because there's a reason why you've earned that role. And sometimes it's a struggle for me to overcome. Is it their insecurity? Or am I inflating my insecurity? So if sometimes it hasn't happened often, but now and then if there is someone that has a that I feel has a frustration with me being their manager for whatever reason, then sometimes there's been once or twice that they say, Well, I don't actually have a problem. But you seem to think I have a problem. And then I'm like, okay, but why? And then I say, okay, well, actually I am insecure because I'm so in awe of what you do and do I actually deserve it? Right, and then like, yeah, we also thought about it. And then it's about a conversation. It's like, how do you open that conversation to say, hey, of course I'm not gonna have all your skills. It's impossible to have everyone's skills in your team. That's what makes a diverse team a good team is to have experts in X, Y, Z, and you can't be at all to everybody. It's impossible. But then it's also about what are my strengths and what are their strengths? And maybe they have far more strengths than I do, but maybe there's one or two things that I'm pretty good at. And that's been a personal leadership struggle is when am I inflating my insecurities purely based on the proxy of my position? And I've mentioned it a few times, imposter syndrome is a real thing, I believe, because you might work hard and you might achieve a lot, but sometimes you don't always believe that you've done it right and it's not just a virtue of you it's also a virtue of the team that you're in how hard they work and you just happen to be at the right place at the right time sometimes right so that also plays a big role and how do you how do you manage that insecurity and be the leader and be the confident person that your team also sometimes mm-hmm. needs and to have the courage to sometimes say no to people also that you report to because you don't agree for whatever reason. You might not understand the logic yet, but you understand your expert has a logic. So <laughs> yeah, you need right. to first understand their logic, but you do know to no. know. <laughs> so that's, I think, one thing is the, when do you have that insecure moments as a leader? And is it a reflection of you or is it a reflection of another person? And how do you overcome that either together or move on? Because sometimes it's also just someone that just doesn't want to work with you. Right? You have casualties. And that's also fun. Not everyone has to like you, right?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It's also fair.
2: No, I mean there are there are certainly insecurities though, I think, in a big company when a, a C level person walks into the room, right? So some people are really uncomfortable with that. Some people don't. It's just really difficult. It's interesting to hear you say that you're you're able to also look at your own contribution to a situation. And and people do. We have to remember that. People are people, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you can also quickly see what I've observed some very mature, established leaders and managers for many years, that have a certain personality profile, how also how quickly they can be triggered to act out of character. Not because per se me. But even if you just watch the room and the behavior how someone's entrance into a room can make someone completely change the characteristic because they're insecure or because there was a miscommunication that was never clarified and was never cleaned up and can really, really influence the room. And like you say, some people are more comfortable with authority being in the room and some are not. But also then it's again, why are they insecure? Is it because their livelihood's at risk? Do Do they really feel comfortable be there or do they think it's safer to not be in the firing line right that's also fair and everyone's situation is different everyone's personal life's different everyone's personal situation is different their personal perceptions their personal agreements their relationships with different people it's complete it's you cannot say there's a golden formula for being comfortable around any individual at work or at home I think it's just yeah. it comes down to curiosity and self-reflection at times
2: great so that's some great advice and i i think as i'm listening to it and probably everybody who's listening to us is relating what you're saying to their own personal experiences both at work and 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 outside of work and so i think it's it was it's really fun to to hear your you you kind of go through that thank you for sharing that
0: my pleasure thank
2: you yeah now you have a mantra change to grow Now, what does that mean? Where did you come up with it? Tell me about that.
0: So like we mentioned earlier, transformation is just change. And why would you want to change something if it's not broken? Either you change something because you think it will be better or you change something to make it more useful for you. And in both instances, it's someone is getting more out of it, which is growth. So, I do. Of course, you can grow without changing anything. It's possible. But what I have found in in my own personal life, uh, the moments that I have grown the most in terms of intellectual curiosity, professionalism, maturity, development, experiences, happiness, has sometimes been in the moments that I needed to change the most who I am, what I do. How I approach things, how I behave, and that's never been easy. I can't remember a time where I really was proud of the growth that I've achieved or the things I've milestones completed with a team or whatever the case may be, where I didn't command quite a lot of emotional resilience through a period of uncomfortable change. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I always say, well, if you want to really grow, you really need to be open to change. Because otherwise, it's just marginal. And what's the difference between change and growth? Because if you just change a little bit, is that incremental growth? Or is it just a, a, an adaption? Right? So if you really, it it's also, well, you really grow, if you can fundamentally see the difference from the status quo to the end state. And that would mean a delta change. It's a delta, it's a, it's a change. So, and that could be in different dimensions, right? So as said always to my father that I'm a real daddy's girl. Actually sure, it's a book called "Daddy Says No." We're
2: going to talk about that in a minute. I was going to ask <laughs> you, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I always, he, he, I always used to say to him that if, if something's worth having, it's not going to come easy. And if I want to live up to my potential, that you say that I have, I need to be open to be uncomfortable and change quite a bit of what I do. It's my habits. It's my approach. It's my opinion. It's the flexibility of Uh, opinions, of approaches, of knowledge. And that's been really a guiding light my entire life that say, okay, well, when is it? And maybe that's also a little bit where the insecurity comes from is, well, when is when am I good enough? When am I smart enough? When am I successful enough? When have I grown enough? Because I constantly see this opportunity to change, to be better, to be faster, to be smarter, to be funnier, to be sweeter, to be kinder, to be Richard, to be nicer, to be, uh, you know, thinner, prettier, blonder, uh, whatever, younger. Whatever it is, yeah. Whatever it is, there's always an opportunity to change. But you also need to know where you want to put the change because where do you really feel you'll grow the most? Because otherwise yeah. it's also exhausting.
2: Fair enough. Right, exactly. You mentioned it and I was going to ask. I actually, when I heard you wrote a book, I went and bought it. So I've read oh, Daddy Says No. Yes, I did. And But who'd you write that book for? I mean, maybe you could help people understand who what's this book about. I mean, it's about making decisions and, and things like that. And tell me about the book and then who you wrote it for.
0: So I've always wanted to be an author. So if I'm really honest, like I would love to write more. I find that writing is an escape from where you are and has gives you the ability to to take people somewhere else. And I'm not talking about novels or anything. It's the ability to also share insights and perspectives that might help them think differently. Hopefully they experience things differently by, by your words or by your way of expressing things, etc. So I've always wanted to be a writer. However, of course, writers aren't really encouraged by parents. So <laughs> never went into the, the acumen of becoming a writer, but I've always enjoyed writing from blogs, to storytelling, to speeches, to anything. If there's someone at work that needs a memo, they can tell me, I'll write it for them, I love it. (laughs) So I've always wanted to write. The second fascination that I've always had, and also unfortunately, when I was younger, it wasn't really shared with me as an option as a career, was psychology. And uh, so in South Africa, it wasn't really the usual that you go and study psychology or anything like that, you either become a normal doctor or an engineer or, or a banker. That's like your paths, typically, especially from a very Afrikaans traditional family. And I love my parents. So they didn't do anything wrong. It's just, I wish I had been exposed more to psycho- psychological concepts, theories, decision-making frameworks, and the influence of emotional triggers, So I've always been super fascinated by that. And that's not only because of how I observe others, also how I've observed myself. So how erratic I could actually be in certain decision making, how regretful some emotions could be for me. The lessons I've learned and reflected on from that, the people that I've hurt through those emotions and those triggers and behaviors, and the things also that I've achieved through harnessing certain energies, emotions and behaviors. So when I, I've always said I wanted to write a book and I was fascinated by psychology and I read all kinds of books and I'm currently doing my PhD also in psychology. It's never too late. You're never too old to do what you originally wanted to. And yeah, so I said, well, okay, well, I have a few hypotheses of certain behaviors or decision making biases that influence your thinking and your behavior and also your character. And possibly if you share those biases or triggers that typically influence quite a lot of us, not all of us, but quite a lot of us, maybe by people having the awareness of those triggers and finding comfort that someone is very open and transparent, that they've also messed up a lot and that they're not perfect. Maybe they would take the time to reflect on their own behaviors, knowing those triggers and those typical biases, and maybe that'll help them make better decisions and hopefully better decisions and more calmer decision-making will lead to better life satisfaction. And that's, that's a theory, right? So I still make bad decisions. I still have my emotions overcome me, but I do sometimes think, well, you should have known better. And then I'm like, okay, you're a hypocrite, you have a book about how to not do it this way. (laughs) But you know what, at the end of the day, if you can't reflect on yourself and be honest, hey, I can make a mistake again, I do know better, I'm going to try again, then it's there. But at least I like sharing tools with people and helping them understand what is out there, but there have been great scientists that have analyzed it. There's great frameworks that can, you can try and use to help you, yourself, or help others. It's not at all a self-help book, but it is a book of reference. It's a book of reference, yeah. I see it more. And every it's 15 chapters and every chapter starts with a story. It's either a personal story or someone else's story that allowed me to transcribe it. And then I dissect the decision-making process, the triggers that might've influenced the outcome or the actual feeling and the motion in that time. And then it summarizes basically the five key takeaways which you can do about it to avoid it or change it. And what I like throughout the book, I, I call them daddy's tips. And these are quotes yep, from very right. famous people. Yeah, right, I read people. those, yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that also, I, I really enjoyed doing that circle. So, okay, well, transcribing what other people say into a context is also very nice for me. And why did I call a daddy says no? One marketing, what's the difference between a rat and a squirrel? Marketing. (laughs) No, but also because my father has never actually said no to me for many things. And sometimes I believe that my emotional triggers and behaviors would have been different if he had said no more.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So I wanted to do the polar opposite to say, okay, well, my dad, Daddy says no. Actually, my daddy never said no. So maybe if my daddy said no to these things, it would have been different. So it was just <laughs> really a, and I didn't write it really for anybody other than anyone that wants to grow or learn or have the same fascination to me.
2: Yeah.
0: It was really a, a, a personal project. And yeah, I'm just very fortunate that it's done so well and was unexpected. And I'll definitely will write another one. I mean, I was a complete amateur writing this one.
2: Well, you share a lot in there. There's a lot of lot of you in there, which is thank now you. that I get to know you a little bit. And that that take that took courage, I'm sure, to put some. Ah, of that thank out you. I oh, thank yeah.
0: thank you. I mean, a lot of people have said that, but uh, if you can't be vulnerable and and open that you're so a human being, then what are you? Right? I'm not a I'm not a saint. I'm not an angel. I'm not Mother Mary, and wish I was, but I'm not. And We've made mistakes and I've apologized to people and I've hurt people and people have hurt me and I've failed and I've won and yeah it's it's my parents are not that normal my family's not that normal who's I are so it's, it's so fun <laughs> there's some crazy people around and I love them so yeah you're just human and hopefully people find comfort in that that you're approachable and you're original and
2: which I think is part of part of what. Going looping back to some of the topics we were talking about from a business standpoint, transformational projects, and all, knowing that we're people and knowing that we're approachable, and all, and this is this is one of the keys I think you were saying to success, and and that it really drives a lot of culture, it drives a lot of uh, ways that people are going to work together, going to get to know each other. So, really glad you, you shared that, and I can see the connection right back to uh, to what 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 you do. So that's really interesting. Benji, if I was to, it's been a fun conversation. If I was to ask you, because we boy, we hit a lot of different things in here. Maybe if we go back and focus, because maybe still focus on let's say, transformation, and somebody now has to step in and, and lead a, a transformation project. We talked about beginning with why. We've talked a little bit about culture. We've talked a little bit about putting people at ease, taking responsibility, a whole bunch of things. Is there anything else or what would be the first thing you would, you would say to somebody, do this first?
0: Yeah. So a change project in a corporate or whatever the case may be, even if you're doing an uh, emergent acquisition integration projects, and there's change management, culture harmonisation, it's what is the what is the common ground that you can find with the team that you're going to start? So not just the why, so the why will be a common ground, but I think it, it, it's worthwhile to spend some time to really understand the people that are going to do the project with you. So these are your soldiers this is your team. And it's also for you to understand who is not going to be your soldier, who is not going to fight at war with you. Because that's also okay, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes you do have casualties, and you you do lose people, and they just do not want to work with you, or whatever the case, they don't believe in the purpose. So taking the time to really understand the why, like I mentioned, but also the people, because that'll also help you craft your story to keep them motivated. Because if you understand what their inherent ambitions are and their inherent fears are for the project with you, and also for yourself, it's also self-reflection. What are my inherent fears of this project? What am I going to do if it fails? How do I determine if it's a failure? How do I determine if it's a success? What What are these people scared of? What are my investors scared of? What are my customers scared of? So I think stepping a little bit back and taking that time to say, okay, we're humans, and humans can make or break any project. And humans are a product of their emotions, just like in my book, we're a product of our emotions. So if we can take some time just to in- understand the inherent fears and ambitions of ourselves and of the team and of the stakeholders, I think it can really set you up very differently in the trajectory of a transformation project and delivery. Um, and it just keeps you human, and it keeps it kind. And it's not always going to be easy. But yeah, I think if you take that time, and that's not always easy, right? Because when you start a transformation project, everyone wants you to go, 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 go. Yeah, when right. is set up? What is the project plan? What is the timing? When is success? So you can get really flustered by all of that in terms of the structuring and the implementation versus sometimes you just need to take a day or three hours. Say, hey, I'm going to just drop down. I think what people are feeling, thinking, and test it with them. Yeah. Test it with them.
2: Great advice, great advice, yeah. Know your, your people, skills, their experiences, their emotions, all of that. Yeah, because you make a plan, and if you don't understand yeah. that, it's not gonna work anyway, is it? So that was really, really fascinating.
0: And I think it can also give you, like I said, the tool set, right? You can also realize that this might not be the team that's gonna help me make this happen, right? That can also be the outcome, but at least you took the perspective to first understand and hear them out.
2: Well, you this was a fun conversation. I could talk to you for hours because you're so yeah, you're really it's great crazy. experiences, but I'm glad you you joined us. I know you're pretty active on different places, certainly on LinkedIn. If people want to kind of follow you, I mean, so they can certainly buy your book and learn about you that way. <laughs> but uh, no, if they want to keep tabs on you, what's the best place? Where are you active?
0: Yeah, I would say definitely Benji Kutsia on LinkedIn and also on Instagram, Benji Kutsia 007. There you will see my link tree, you'll see my different companies that I'm involved in, my social profiles, my personal profiles and also my book link. But yeah, I think it's in general, it's just about being part of the community, starting a conversation and My aunt always jokes, she said, when someone asks about you, I just say, Google Benji in Africa, and then it usually comes up as well. But there's many (laughs) platforms um, to reach out. And always super happy to have conversations about psychology, leadership, management, failures, successes. And if anyone does buy that book, please leave a review and an honest review because I do want to take okay. it into the next one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also really, really important for me. So really appreciate that support.
2: Great. Yeah. No, and boy, if you read another book, let me know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in, time, in time.
2: In time. Yeah. Great. Well, Benji, thanks for joining. That was a lot of fun. Really, really can't thank you enough for sharing those no, insights. Thank you, Paul. Yeah.
0: No, I really appreciate
2: it. I hope you all enjoyed that. Really fun to to step back and and think about all the other things besides a project plan and a schedule and things like that that are needed to be successful in in, in business in transformation in daily life and and it was wonderful that benji come share that with us so wish you all a great week ahead take care everybody and bye for now
1: thanks for joining us this week for innovation talks with paul heller if you enjoyed the show please like and subscribe on spotify stitcher apple or wherever you listen to podcasts For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at Sofion.com.